Hi, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of the Infrastructures Code podcast. Today, we have another amazing guest and author, uh, Rob Hafner. Rob, how, uh, how are you? Good, good. It's great to be here. Thanks for coming. So, uh, as I've just mentioned, Rob is, uh, is an author and he's a cloud architect veteran. So, uh, what are you writing about, Rob? Tell us uh, about your hobbies. Uh, so right now, writing is my only hobby. Uh, it takes a lot to write a book, it turns out. Uh, I'm writing a book called Terraform in Depth for Manning Publications. Um, it's all about Terraform um, with a focus at the start on kind of the basics, getting started, getting to use it, and then continuing with uh, kind of the advanced topics of how to actually use Terraform in production. And, and what led you to writing uh, this book? What, what is your background? I assume you're not, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, a bass or a guitar player or something like that. You sounds like uh, an infrastructure person, but uh, tell us more about your background. Yeah, so I've been in the industry for 17 years now, which is kind of horrifying when I say it out loud. I'm like, oh, God, it's just been so long. Um, but I've been doing infrastructure for pretty much ever. Uh, started my first consultancy in 2005, uh, ended up joining Mauerbytes and running all of their infrastructure um, for about five years before I switched to other startups more in the AI space. Um, and I've been bouncing around there doing both kind of full stack API development Mint, uh, as well as a lot of infrastructure. Great. And, and today you work in this uh, small company named Comcast? Yes, I am a um, senior principal architect there. Awesome. So I, so I can imagine you're, uh, you've seen some large-scale architecture and, and applications. And what, what, what is uh, the purpose of, of your book? Like, what, what are you trying to... To achieve, to educate uh, the juniors to know more about Terraform, to educate those who are already aware of Terraform to become more experts. Well, what do you think is a is a good objective from uh, writing this book? It's a little bit of both of those, but with a real um, focus on practicality, like learning how to use Terraform, but learning how to use it with other people as part of a team, how to organize your code. You know, you can't really um, dive right into the advanced stuff without doing some of the basics. So the first part of the book is really focused on giving people a solid foundation in Terraform itself. Uh, just, you know, learning the basics of HCL at the start, figuring out what even a declarative language is compared to like imperative or other style languages, and really just showing what the value of Terraform is along Alongside as many you know real world examples and um, practices that I can bring up. As the book goes on, each chapter kind of builds off of the previous, and more advanced topics come into play. Um, chapter four just came out this week, and that was what I think is kind of one of the last of the um, like beginner learning chapters. Um, and then now, chapter five, six, seven; these are all much more advanced topics, talking about things like state management, um, discussing how Terraform, uh, Terraform actually does planning, um, with a focus on a lot of the the troubles that you could come into um, and how to kind of get around them. Yeah, so I see you have at least two parts for your, uh, in your book. Getting started with Terraform is the first part, and Terraform in production mm -hmm. is, uh, is the second part, which uh, uh, implies about you know, the uh, maturity of the user uh, who uses Terraform. Can you tell us a bit specifically about your 
background with Telephone. When was the first time that you started using Telephone? What were your thoughts and what led you into uh, into Telephone? Yeah, so I remember the first time I used Terraform, it must have been maybe 2016 or 17 while I was working at Vicarious. Um, and, you know, for those of you who haven't done it before, setting up a VPC in AWS can be a painful process. Um, you know, some people use scripts and other stuff to get it. I mean, I've even tried using Puppet before Terraform became more popular. Um, but it, it, it's a painstaking process. And the first time I actually launched a VPC with Terraform, it took about 45 seconds. And it kind of blew my mind. It just made yeah. it so much easier to actually follow best practices where you can isolate things based off of the network and divide things up. Um, and that combined with the ability to expand your modules, like you treat them like software, which means that you could add new features, you could add new functionality, and that gets pushed out everywhere compared to, you know, before when you had to kind of build everything yourself, create the network on your own, um, where trying to backport you know, updates and fixes was a much more manual and painful process. And so the first time I used Terraform, it kind of just blew my mind with just how easy it was um, to start treating infrastructure like code and take advantage of everything around that. Yeah, definitely. And I assume that you've used the VPC uh, module that is already existing in order to do that very quickly. Not not sure if that's what you meant, but if, if that was the case, uh, I want to shout out to another guest who was uh, in this podcast a few episodes ago, uh, the famous Anton Babenko, who actually wrote AWS modules, including the VPC module, for everybody to, uh, basically, you don't need to be a super expert to know all of those nuances, but you already have uh, very mature modules, uh, for example, for AWS, thanks to Anton Babenko, who is the uh, a maintainer of those modules, so you can just take those and uh, easily create the resources that you need in AWS. In this example, uh, have you been using modules of uh, of others? I assume you you have. It's a bit of a mix. Anton's modules are, of course, famous in the industry. So even if you're not using them directly, you definitely want to look at them as an example of what you can build out. Um, I definitely use modules a lot when I'm working on um, trying to prototype or build things out. I've also found that depending on the company and the needs, sometimes the public modules don't necessarily work. So you can use them kind of either as a starting point or build your own. Uh, regardless, though, I think it's really important that if you know, you're inside of a company, you don't have every team building out their own modules, but have some level of shared modules that you can use. So that way everyone can kind of build and take advantage of everybody else's knowledge. And so you don't need to be an expert on every single piece of technology out there. I mean, with AWS, it's impossible to know everything. I mean, by the time you've got a good grasp on stuff, reInvent comes around and now they've got 40 <laughs> new products. Um, so even just you know scrolling through the last week, seeing everything that's been announced, I'm like, I have so much more learning to do. Um, yeah. So using the the public modules makes a lot of that learning easily easy. You know, when playing around mm -hmm. with SageMaker, for example, I've often just pulled one of the public modules and used that to get started, rather than um, you know building my own or trying to learn the underlying system the same day I'm trying to do all sorts of other stuff to learn about it. Yeah, and and you start mentioning that uh, if you're working within an organization. I and I think in general, it's it's important to understand not just how to use Terraform, but how to use Terraform in production and as part of a team that delivers uh, software. 
And you start mentioning that if you work within an organization, good chances that you need your own modules, uh, which are not the public modules. Sometimes you can publish those publicly, and sometimes you need to keep those modules privately. It depends on the uh, culture and the policy of, of your organization. Um, from our experience in NZero, if you're using private modules, it's very helpful for your organization to have some kind of a solution for a private module registry. Sometimes we haven't spoken about that yet in this uh, episode, but in more extreme cases, you might be even writing private providers, uh, but this is a different thing. But the, the, the private modules is a very uh, common thing that we see in, uh, in organizations and to manage those properly and to allow collaboration between the different uh, infrastructure developers is uh, is is key for uh, the success of the company. Um, can you share about your experience working in companies and collaboration? Maybe my private module is one example, but what what are your uh, uh, important recommendations for infrastructure teams when they try to collaborate, working on infrastructure and writing telephone code? What do you think are the most important things that are important for those teams to uh, to do? So you definitely hit on one with the private module registry. You know, it is definitely possible to just use GitHub as a model registry, but you lose some of the nice features of Terraform, especially around semantic versioning. Um, if you're just pulling in references from GitHub and using the tags. Um, so model registries are really helpful for that. The other thing that I think is extremely important, though, is proper CI CD pipeline. You know, this is the same as any other software project. You don't just merge things in without testing them. And you want to take advantage of tools that are out there to help you increase quality. And so, you know, with a proper CI pipeline, you can do, you know, use TFLint. You can pull in the various um, security scanners, things like Checkoff or Sneak. Um, you can run speculative plans so you can actually see what type of changes your infrastructure is going to have. For me, those are just absolutely vital for any team because otherwise you don't necessarily know what people are doing. And, you know, there's some other obvious stuff that's really important, like making sure you have a proper back end uh, for state management. Like, I, you know, I've seen teams do some scary, scary things around that. Um, but even when you have the proper back end set up, like make sure you've got backups in place, make sure you've got a procedure for if something goes wrong. Um, you know, with Terraform and especially when it comes to state, it's powerful, but it's dangerous. And you don't want to lose your state or end up with a problem where you're manually importing all of your resources back in. So for resilience sake, you want to have backups. Um, but again, the CI/CD pipelines, I cannot stress enough how important those are because they're what catch issues before you actually deploy. They're, you know, what are going to catch the problems or areas where people, uh, you know, might have made a mistake. Yeah, that, definitely. So you, you don't recommend just uh, opening huge pull requests of hundreds of uh, lines of code and uh, trust that it's going to be okay merging those and execute that in production. That's that's not the best practice, uh, you believe? No, and I, I personally believe that you're much better off having five small updates than you are having one large update um, and that you should deploy things, you know, quickly and often, you know, if you're holding off on doing deployments until like a, a change merge window, or you're only doing deployments once a month, then your deployments are going to be painful and, and hard to manage. But if you're doing, if you're 
using Terraform, you've got it tied in with CI, CD, and you have a proper deployment pipeline. So talking about Rad AI for a second, it was a company I worked at um, previously for about three years. I was one of the first engineers there. Um, came, I was the first engineer there, rather. Um, and we built out a great team. We were deploying three, four, five times a day. Um, but we were able to do that because we had all the safeguards that Terraform provides. People were able to make a pull request, see what the changes would be. We'd see the speculative plans, what would happen in staging. All of our modules, all of our infrastructure was modularized, which meant that we, you know, had it with versioning. And so being able to just pick a version of our infrastructure that's in prod, it was all incredibly easy. And since we were making small changes often, it was pretty fast to do, you know, like you'd make a PR, the Terraform plan would come in in two or three minutes, as long as you weren't updating RDS or something. Uh, we've all hit that RDS pain, I'm sure. Um, but it, it makes it so your team can move a lot quickly. You've got the safeguards around it. You can see when problems are, and you can revert those problems. You know, if you actually do accidentally put something in production or try to do a deployment and it fails, mm -hmm. Terraform allows you to roll back often as simple as a Git revert. Um, and so all of that in play just makes teams move much faster. And of course, if you're just using Terraform, you don't get as much of that. But when you're using Terraform along with CI, CD tools, that, that's the power that really comes into play. The safeguards, the ability for other people to review what's going on, being able to have that presented to them right away. Um, so here's the plan. Here's what we're changing. Here's what's being deleted. Um, that makes things fantastic. Um, the other thing I love too, um, you know, Rad AI, we did a lot of healthcare stuff. So there was a lot of disaster recovery and HIPAA type stuff that went into play. Um, with Terraform, we were able to completely launch and include, um, you know, restoring backups in another region of the entire system in less than 45 minutes. And so in the worst case scenario where like a meteorite hits US West 2, you know, there's still a plan in place where you can use your infrastructure's code to just launch it somewhere else. And, you know, you want to test that out. You want to make sure that you've got systems in place to make that easy, that you've got your data in multiple places so you can do uh, backup restores. But Terraform makes a huge part of the disaster recovery plan much nicer as well yeah yeah definitely i could not agree more i think what you mentioned over and over again with different examples uh remind me just the term confidence once you have more and more confidence you're able to move quicker and uh, and safer and there are many things that can help you to uh, to increase that confidence one thing is to uh, do more smaller changes versus uh, uh, one big change and to deploy often with those small changes and obviously the guardrails that that you mentioned. Another thing that is uh, funny about the confidence, you randomly mentioned US uh, West region. Uh, for my experience, it is a best practice. I, I personally recommend not to use US East 1 uh, because everybody's using US East 1, and that's the first region to to fail uh, due to load. It's the default, but I, I don't recommend it. What, what are your thoughts? Uh, it, was there a good reason why you chose US West and not US East 1, or uh, that's just in, in random? My, in my career, yeah. I've made it a goal to not deploy into US East 1. 
um, mm-hmm. life goal uh, right there. Because as you say, that is the one that crashes or goes down the most. It's where they deploy the newest stuff. There are pros and cons to that. Like if you're trying to play around with GPUs, for example, uh, US East 1 often gets them earlier. But if you actually want stuff for production, I, I always start with US West 2. That's a good example. Maybe, you know, a best practice for, for our audience is to build your staging environments in US East 1, but build your production environments elsewhere. That's, a, that's an interesting approach. And as you mentioned earlier, when you have state of all of your infrastructure, it's pretty easy to, uh, to build multiple environments in different regions uh, as long as you uh, manage your state properly and manage your environments properly and manage your uh, CI pipelines properly. Uh, I, you know, this is a, a podcast that has nothing to do with, with the company that, that I'm running M0, but, but I, in this conversation, I have to say that uh, so many things that you mentioned, uh, and M0 is there to, to help, but uh, this is not the, the topic today. So let's talk more about, let's talk more about the, the book. And it sounds like you, you, you talk about all of the needed things that you need to consider when you try to manage Terraform at scale, in production, collaborate with your team members. Um, you still didn't mention Terra Grant. Uh, what are your thoughts about Terra Grant? Uh, will it be part of your book? Is it mentioned in your book? Uh, yes, no, and, and, and why? Yep. So it is definitely mentioned in the book. Chapter 10 is focused on alternate interfaces with Terraform. So we're going to go over things like Terra Grunt, also things like Pulumi, CDK, TF, um, and all of those other tools that kind of either build off of or work with Terraform. Now, I, I will personally say that I've not used Terra Grunt a huge amount. Um, I've used it a bit in the past, so it's an area where I'm kind of diving in and learning a little bit more about for the book. Um, I know a lot of people love it, though, um, and that it's a great tool. You know, one of the biggest problems I've actually run into with this book is that there are so many amazing tools out there, um, both vendor-based and open source. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Chapter seven, um, I'm talking about CI/CD practices, and that's also going to include discussing things like M0, Spacelift, my least favorite Terraform uh, cloud, and all of the other things around that. Um, and then chapter 10, I'm going to talk a lot more about some of the open source software and the projects where people can use to help run Terraform and build off of that. So if Terraground is something you want to learn about, there'll definitely be a place for that in the book. <clears throat> And, and say something about Atlantis. You still didn't mention Atlantis. Oh, yeah. No, Atlantis actually was powered the first startup that I worked at. Uh, we ran that itself. Now, I do think that there's a little bit of a pro and con to self-hosting. Um, these days, I'll be honest, I'm a little biased towards just letting somebody else host it and manage it. Because one of the yeah. things that um, I always am worried about is if you know my infrastructure is having a problem, you know, does that include everything that's running it? So, you know, if I'm running, say, Atlantis in US West 2 and US West 2 happens to go down, so is all of my other infrastructure, you know, to do that properly, that means I need to make sure that Atlantis also has a backup somewhere else. And so the complexity ends up growing when you try to get high availability for the applications you're running. And at that point, I would rather just throw money at somebody, to to be perfectly honest. Um, And so that's where some of the other vendors kind of come in. 
Um, it is a great tool, though, and I'm really excited by the fact that they've joined the Cloud Native Compute Foundation and are joining a foundation um, mm -hmm. because I also have just a huge bias towards open source mm -hmm. stuff. Um, you know, I got started with development even before um, my first consulting company. Um, mm -hmm. But back in high school, I wrote open source software. And ever since then, it's something that I've absolutely loved and enjoyed. Uh, so when I see open source tools out there, I, I always get excited. Uh, okay, so this is maybe a good opportunity for you maybe to consider renaming the book instead of uh, Terraform in depth to be named Open Tofu in depth. Just, uh, just a thought. I, honestly, it's it's um, something that has come up, and I keep joking yep. with everybody that like the first edition is going to be Terraform in depth, and the second edition is going to be Open Tofu in depth. That's awesome. <laughs> so, if you actually look at the book, you might notice that chapter one is a little light at the moment. It, it, I did not like there. There's kind of a blank section just waiting for content, and that's me waiting for the Open Tofu stuff to mature a little bit so I can talk in depth. Um, about exactly what happened there, how things played out, and kind of what my recommendations are moving forward with that. At the same time, though, I want to see Open Tofu have their first um, production release, and then I want to watch that process a little uh, before I commit things to Word. So I personally am very optimistic around it, though. I think that the people involved with it, first of all, are some of the most amazing people. Um, I'm in their Slack network. I've been chatting with people, gathering info for my book, of course. Um, but I'm just so enthusiastic about what they're doing, seeing some of the issues that have been stuck in the um, issue queue for years, finally getting looked at. Yep with yep. um to me i am honestly looking at everything in a very positive light where the community and this fork can potentially be way more powerful than terraform was originally simply because of the opening community nature the encouragement for people to contribute um, and the openness of the open tofu group so at the moment um the book is going to be terraform in depth but i am pretty positive that by the time we come around to a second edition um which at the rate terraform is moving i can't imagine will be too far down the road um I, I imagine it will be mostly focused around open tofu. And I have to imagine that if you are someone who works at HashiCorp right now, you have to be wondering, like, why are these decisions being made? And, and have they really thought things through? This is uh, super interesting. Today is uh, December 1st. I'm not sure when this episode is going to be published. Uh, you mentioned about open tofu stable version. So stay tuned. It's, uh, it's going to happen soon. Maybe, maybe even before this uh, episode is uh, is going to be published, I'm honored. Uh, it's an important disclaimer. I am uh, one of the key folks behind Open Tofu, and uh, uh, we are strong believers in everything you said. Thank you for for mentioning, you know, being impartial and working closely with the community. Uh, this is very important for the success of uh, of Open Tofu as as any other open source project. One one last question. Uh, so let's say I, my organization is writing more and more Terraform or uh, Open Tofu, and uh, I still have tons of cloud resources that were created in the past that uh, don't have their equivalent in code, and they also sometimes uh, have updates. Um, what is your recommendation? I think there are three options to consider. One is to continue as is 
and continue manage those manually by click ops um, and all, only write the phone code for the new architecture that is uh, being created. Uh, another option is to have a developer and start uh, uh, migrating those uh, by writing telephone code to those that are being changed or uh, maybe everything. The, the, the last option is to use something like uh, Terraformer or other tools to automatically try to generate uh, infrastructure as code such as Terraform to your existing cloud resources. What do you think is the uh, recommended best practice for organizations uh, to handle maybe the majority of their cloud resources that are still uncodified? So I would say that any, and I'm going to start from an organization that has just never used Terraform before. I, I think that the first thing you want to do is start building some of your new stuff in Terraform, get your processes in play, make sure that you have, you know, those CI/CD pipelines, and don't try to do those at the same time you're doing a migration, because then you're basically trying to do two big tasks at once. Start with a smaller project, define everything out, and get that working with your pipelines so your staff are upskilled and they engineers know how to actually use Terraform in a, a nice way. Once you've got that, then the question is, what do you do with everything else? I personally have found that giant migration projects where you say move everything over basically ends up forking a system, not necessarily migrating the system. And you also don't get the benefits right away of Terraform. You, what you end up with is a large migration project. And unfortunately, a lot of the systems that will automatically generate the Terraform based off of your current system, well, those aren't always going to generate the best Terraform. And those might also make decisions that you might regret later on. I think for that kind of thing, you want to do things more manual and more locally. Mm -hmm. So if I was somebody in an organization that was adopting Terraform for the first time, I'd have a team build out one of the new projects using Terraform. Mm -hmm. Once they were good with it, I would start trying to migrate things into Terraform piece by piece. So that way, every time you migrate a service in, it's now controlled by Terraform. You can control that in other places and slowly pick things off of your existing system until eventually your larger, your, your Terraform system has all of it or most of it in. You'll probably reach a point where you look at it and you're like, okay, let's just finish up what's left. Like we got two thirds of it. There's some low hanging fruit over here. Let's just wrap it up and bring it in. Um, but in most of my experience, you don't want to do like a giant migration project that it's going to like span over multiple quarters. Of course, this also depends on what your architecture and your infrastructure mm -hmm. is. You know, if you're primarily using a monolith application and just spinning up a bunch of EC2 instances in an auto-scaling group, you know, that might be simple enough where you do just want to do a straight up migration. But if you've got a larger system that's been building up over years where, you know, there's hundreds of services, what you probably want to do is target the services that are the least reliable or that are being up updated the most often. So you get your you know, the most bang for your buck out of those early migrations. Um, one other thing that also I love to bring up is um, Conway's Law. I don't know if you're familiar with Conway's Law, but it's a, a software architect thing where basically um, the idea that people's architecture ends up resembling their organization and communication structures. Mm -hmm. If you've yeah. got 
team, you might have one system, one group of, you know, modules. If you're a company with, you know, hundreds of people, you might have networking teams and cloud teams. And a lot of that is going to reflect in, you know, what your services are. And so for these larger companies, identifying the teams that are potentially just lower reliability, lower performance, um, like have a harder time deploying, those are the teams you may want to target initially and try to get on things like infrastructure as code um, to try to just help them get those safeguards we were talking about, kind of coming back to the start of the conversation, like the safeguards that Terraform provides the ability to do things like automatic linting and, um, you know, pull request reviews is so powerful that, you know, even teams that are having the toughest time are the ones you probably want to move over to it. Awesome. Um, Thank you so much, Rob, for all of those amazing insights and learnings that are now being uh, transferred in a very efficient way with your amazing book, Terraform in Depth. I do want to say to our audience that uh, I want to thank Rob for uh, uh, basically uh, you know, offering a group discount to uh, our audience. Uh, so go to our uh, comments and description in the podcast and you're going to see a link with a discount to the amazing book, Telephone in Depth by Rob. Uh, if you want to purchase that book, please use the coupon. It will save you money and will make everybody happy uh, thank you so much for educating for uh, for sharing for for caring for empowering the community uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you today rob uh, anything else you want to say before we say goodbye no, just thank you for inviting me. It's been fantastic. Uh, this is actually the first podcast I've ever been on, so it's been quite an experience. That's awesome. Our pleasure. All right. Thank you, Rob. And thanks, everybody, uh, for joining us to the Infrastructures Code. The Infrastructures Code podcast. Have a great day and bye bye.